Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Um, It is so great to be here with you. And I hope those of you heading into Memorial Day weekend here in the States are ready for a great weekend. And I hope, well, obviously, you're including Boundless in it if you're listening right now. So if you're listening after the fact, we will forgive you. It's all good. But here's what's coming up on the show. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener who hasn't been in a romantic relationship before, but started video chatting with a woman who lives 1300 miles away and he plans to visit her soon but is wondering when does a relationship reach the serious stage and does that involve intention is there a conversation that needs to happen what are the signs of that do does he need to make signs happen (laughs) so I'm going to weigh in on that conversation and that question and then for the culture segment Greg Smalley's our vice president of marriage at focus on the family and he is here for part one of our conversation on ways that you can prepare for a great marriage and uh, this is out of his book, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. So a great conversation with him, especially if you're thinking about marriage, you're dating, you're engaged, whatever. But you know what? Even if you're not, this is all good wisdom. So here we are for our roundtable, though, kicking off the show. And I have got Hannah, Carrie, and Emerson here. Hey, y'all. Hello. Good to have you here. We're going to have a conversation around keeping your independence in a dating relationship. So I don't want to say autonomy, because as Christians, (laughs) we're not supposed to be just running around autonomously. And uh, this reminds me of a book I read years ago that was titled The Severe Mercy by a guy named Sheldon Van Aken. And he was actually friends, and I think he was mentored by C.S. Lewis. So hey, name drop. Um, But anyway, so I guess if you've been mentored by C.S. Lewis, you can write a book. But he basically starts out by talking about his relationship with his then, uh, or I guess she became his wife, and how they had determined, they were not Christians at the time, that they were just going to live only for each other. And by gazing into one another's eyes and entirely focusing on each other, they were going to build like the perfect relationship. (laughs) And through this process and through his relationship with C.S. Lewis, he got saved and a lot happened and the book is a big tear fest for a number of reasons Um, but that's one thing that has stuck with me so often is this assumption that as long as you just love this person enough or work on it enough or whatever you're going to become one and it's going to become easier and easier and all this and then people find that they lose themselves in that and so it gets kind of wacky so i want to start out by each of you just sharing kind of maybe briefly a little bit of your story around dating and whether or not you felt you had to navigate the space what it looked like did you do it well maybe you did in one relationship and not in another one Um, but give us a quick overview of your dating history and how that played out and kind of where you are now in your relationship status so Hannah why don't you kick us off yeah I would say thinking about it and looking back I did it well, but I really struggled with independence in relationships. It was something, um, I became a believer in high school, and so all of my dating um, took place within my faith context, but I really did have to fight um, in a lot of relationships, like not becoming obsessive and not, you know, becoming too dependent, too codependent, I guess Mm -hmm. would be the right word. Um, Yeah, and then I'm married now, been married for about a year and a half. And me and my husband, while we were dating, uh, were long distance the entire time. Mm. So I think when I think back, that's kind of an interesting perspective of how we handled 
um, independence in that realm. Um, but yeah. Okay. And I think, I mean, maybe before we even get to Carrie and Emerson on this, we probably should talk about like, what are some of the biggest traps um, in this area? So I feel like, because again, in dating relationships I've been in, it became immediately you're like texting someone 24 seven. I have, or I've seen friends all of a sudden drop out of friend groups. They drop out of Bible studies. They kind of, you know, start turning down invitations or they don't go unless their significant other is joining them and stuff. And maybe they, um, you know, a la Runaway Bride, classic movie. Um, all of a sudden, they're taking on every decision and opinion of this other person. They kind of lose their own opinions. So I don't know. Is there anything I'm missing? What are some under, other way it manifests itself? I can't really think of anything. I think you hit them. Yeah. I hit them. Yeah. I hit them. Maybe this is a little closer to home than I hear. <laughs> Emerson's looking at me like, Lisa, it sounds like you better just read through some of this stuff. No, it's all good. Um, so Emerson, since you, you know, kind of gave me the, the eye there, you talk about your kind of how you've played this out in relationships uh definitely not perfectly i have messed up so many times in dating relationships i have uh become very dependent on the other person for love and for satisfaction or whatever it is um and i so i don't have a perfect record i didn't come to know the lord until years after i had started dating people Mm. and um Yes, I don't have a perfect record. I praise the Lord. I'm engaged now. <laughs> I, I plan on uh, marrying this girl, and I, I, I definitely have a lot to speak into this okay. this independence bit because I've been on both sides. I feel, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, although we're not married yet, I think okay. we're on a good track, and I think we found a healthy rhythm for yeah. independence. That's good because I mean, I think a lot of people think, oh, okay, well, when we're married, it'll all be solved, but that can be tricky too. And you know, Carrie, you are married, so why don't you speak to your story a little bit? Yeah, I, I'm I'm peering over the edge of 50, and I didn't get married until I was 34. And so I had several years of dating relationships um, prior to actually finding the one that I was going to marry. I had about four relationships prior to that. Two of them were long distance. That actually helps in the independence, maintaining the independence, because you're spending quite a bit of time without the other person. Um, But our situation was unique in the sense that um, my husband and I, we were a blended family. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Boy, you, you, you tend to lose your sense of independence pretty quickly if you're marrying into an, an existing culture and an existing family. Um, but I do want to speak to that um, independence. As someone who got married later, um, I think I struggled more on the opposite end of things um, because I was so independent and because I was, I was single for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Then as, as I got more into serious relationships, then I realized, oh my gosh, this is a compromise and this is a give and take. And one of the things, and I might be jumping ahead a little bit here, Lisa, but one of the things that I think we did well, and this was really more me that needed this more than my husband, because again, he was in an existing family and had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I implemented in our dating relationship a me night. Um, I needed a night to do my laundry and pay my bills and call my mother and, you know, have dinner with a friend. Um, And structuring that, having some structure around that and a defined amount of time, 
um, really provided me the space that I felt like I needed to maintain me. Um, but it also provided some security to my husband in knowing, okay, now my husband, but my boyfriend then, mm-hmm. I, I can expect this and, and this is healthy. And she seems to come back a different person when she has that me time. So Yeah, that's good. And that actually makes me think of something else I want to bring up. And that is the whole concept of friendship. Like how do you guys feel you did friendship while in a dating relationship and then you know you two who are married even now in marriage like do you guys independently have your own friends and you spend time with them or do you do has it been more of a struggle that you do everything as a couple and well Emerson even you you're engaged I mean where are you (laughs) walking through this now what does it look like for y'all as far as like you know, because we always hear it said that like guys need guy friends and you got to spend time away and wives let your husbands go out and do stuff with them and vice versa and whatever. So what has that looked like? Where has the struggle been in that? Yeah, Carrie, you started to hit on it. Um, One of my mentors here, uh, Jeremy Keaton, gave me a great model for this, which is to implement me time, we time, us time Mm. with your relationships. So uh, in your dating or as I do with Ruth now, uh, each week, or at the very least each month, we try to each have me time where it's it can be you and your guy, me and my guy friends, it can be mm-hmm. her and her girlfriends, uh, or you can just be you alone too. Sometimes she needs that or I need that. I just assumed um, Carrie was like sitting by herself somewhere. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't throw the other girlfriends into that, uh, it's, so that's it's, good. It's, it's okay. your time okay, to it's do your whatever time. you want with your friends, you whatever it, it is, okay. right? Or, uh, however you want to structure it. And then there's the we time where we come together and we do something together, just you and me or just you and me and our, and our family. And then there's the, I think there's the, or I think it may have been mixing up. Maybe that's the us time. And then the we time is where we come together with our friends okay. and we all come together and like together as a team, you and me, we minister to our friends or we do a double date with another couple or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I found that structure to be extremely helpful uh, to very intentionally stay plugged in with friends uh, and family, as well as one another. Um, Because I think if you grow one of those too big Mm -hmm. and it starts to eat away the other ones, uh, it can be very unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah, I think in my dating relationships in college, um, I really needed my friends, especially when it came to speaking into the relationship. Like I, I needed to spend time with my significant other, with my friends around so that they could speak into like, hey, I don't really think, you know, these elements are healthy or I could just get their honest feedback. And so I found it really helpful to lean into those friendships even more. And I love the me time, we time, us time, kind of that structure because it gives it, yeah, a structure. So that is really good. And now in marriage, I think it's a little bit different because um, when me and my husband got married, we moved to a new city together. Mm. Um, So really we like started over with community And honestly, I haven't done a great job of spending time with like just my girlfriends or just my gal friends from church or work or whatever. Um, But really, we've made friends together as a couple, which I think is totally healthy and totally has its place. Um, But I could definitely do a better job Hmm. of reaching out and still like having them speak into my marriage relationship and what they see and things like that. Yeah, that's good. I think if you're a part of, of a healthy community of single people, there's going to be a, a trajectory to this. Um, and, and my husband and I met in a healthy singles community, and we had a ton of friends. Mm. 
I've been on both sides of that. I've been on the side where my friends were getting married and having kids and and moving away and and constantly kind of going through a little bit of a grief process every time their lives kind of went on. And I was still, you know, back here as the single person. So I've been on that side. Um, But then on the other side, too, realistically, the closer you get to marriage and then after marriage, your social circle starts to get a little smaller as it needs to. There's a lot that you need to work on um, in your marriage. And I thought about this and looking back, the friendships that you carry with you are probably the ones that are the deepest, Mm -hmm. the ones that you've been able to be the most honest with, the most vulnerable with. They are more likely to continue on um, as you get married and in your relationship. And the ones that were really more of a social friendship and part of your social circle, even if it was part of a, you know, like a community group or a small group or Bible study, those are probably going to drop off. Mm-hmm. you know, more and more over time. Yeah. I think it's so tricky because I, I was thinking this to myself, how I feel like technology has really messed us up because the minute we started being accessible to one another all the time, I mean, you can just text someone, everyone's in everyone's business. All of a sudden, it's like no one can even be in their work day without having, you know, their boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse checking in on 20 times a day, like, you know, what's the situation with the half and half or whatever, you know, so it can get like really weird. Um, But it reminded me of I went through a season of dating a guy who was actually pretty good with boundaries and that we actually went out once a week. And I remember being kind of offended because I was like, does he not want to hang out with me? So it was like I had my Bible study night and I had and he was really just trying to preserve all of that and letting me be me. And then he was like, "Okay, yeah, so let's then do a date night and let's plan that and let's whatever. And it was so funny how I almost went in the opposite direction of like, why aren't you just wanting to call me or like just Mm -hmm. hang out, you know, or do whatever Mm -hmm. and stuff. And he's like, no, it's it's cool. You know, let's just wait till Friday or whatever and I'm like okay but it was like super awkward um Mm -hmm. now I would like to talk a little bit about spiritually what this looks like because how do you grow and maintain and flourish in your own walk with the Lord without looking to a significant other to be to prop you up to be the person you know I know a lot of people get into relationships and they're like either they do one of two extremes either they think that this other person is going to get them interested in spiritual things and, oh, you know, I'll start going to church then or I'll join a Bible study then or we'll do something, we'll pray together. Or it's kind of the opposite of like, you know, well, it's cool, you know, now that I'm engaged or married, I can maybe coast or we'll just kind of prop each other up or whatever. So how do you maintain that identity for yourself in a relationship with the Lord? It's helpful for me to remember my first love, Mm -hmm. that my first love is Christ, Mm -hmm. and it's him, and it's him alone, Mm -hmm. Uh, that he he died for me, he rose again for me, and he gives me new life. And I have to remember that he is the fount of living water that I must return to for joy, for satisfaction, for peace. Mm -hmm. And while my relationship is a gift from God, it is also a gift in that I'm actually called now to minister to her. And so rather than treating it as a, uh, a self-serving type of relationship, if you, I think if you view it that way, it's very easy to see it as something I need or um, something that I require from this person uh, mm-hmm. to be fulfilled or to be fulfilled in my relationship with God. Uh, rather than that, I, I prefer to view it as, as, a, as a ministry, as an opportunity to love this person. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that alone is a gift and that I think that speaks to why Paul even even 
talks to marriage the way he does, there is a ministry aspect of relationships, right? You're going to be pouring into this person and leaning into them. And, and guess what? This person you're dating, they're a sinner too. So there's going to be some mm-hmm. baggage there that you're going to deal with that you get to bring the grace of Christ into. So remember your first love, mm-hmm. uh, spend time with him, try to spend time with him first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's really easy to, I wake up in the morning and I want to say, good morning, dear. I hope you slept well. I want to send that good morning <laughs> text and that good night text. I want, uh, I think my own flesh wants her to be on the forefront of my mind on the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. But I have to remember, who is my first love? Mm-hmm. That's Christ. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that wants to be on the forefront of my mind in the morning and at the very end at night before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important to remember because it's easy to enter a relationship and um, especially if you admire the other person and their faith to think or lean into, oh, they're really going to help me grow in my faith. And like, certainly you want that to be the case, but relying on them for spiritual growth or relying on them for just growing in your faith in general, I think is very unhealthy to start with. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember having friends that would like do their quiet time with their boyfriend. And I just, I thought that that was, it just added a string that once they broke up, well, they were less likely to go back to their Bible or go back to Mm -hmm. devotions because they had made this attachment to it. And so I totally agree with Emerson. I think it's super important to remember, first and foremost, it's relationship with Christ. Everything beyond that is a gift. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I definitely agree with all of that. I would be hypocritical if I said I did it well (laughs) when when we were in that dating space because the funny thing is, I was thinking about this, you go into your quiet time and you're like, oh, Lord, and you're trying to pray and your thoughts drift to the person you're in love with. And then you, you get together with your friends, you're trying to have boundaries and get together with your friends and you talk about your boyfriend the whole time. <laughs> and so, you know, the thing is, this is an unparalleled time in your life. You're experiencing a level of excitement and joy and thrill that you will probably most likely never experience again. So there's a preciousness to that, that you want to honor. And at the same time, same time trying to discipline your your mind and your emotions and everything to stay um, stay closely connected to Jesus and so I appreciate what you guys said too you know we're all fully functional adults that are fully responsible for you know our physical spiritual and emotional well-being and we have to maintain that even if we're in a relationship and I think by doing that that better prepares you to be a more healthy individual, if this relationship does go to marriage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always say that when I talk to, even to singles about, you know, their discouragement often about not being married and and how, you know, there is something so amazing about the picture of the covenant, you know, and in marriage and stuff, but that is a temporary picture. And so I often remind them, you know, when you stand before the Lord on the last day, you're standing as an individual. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to be with your husband and wife and be like, well, God, here's why I failed in these three areas, because my husband was such a mess that you can't point fingers, you can't give credit, you can't, I mean, this is about your soul, your heart, your will, and the will of God. And so we have to remember that, you know, it is, there is no marriage in heaven. And this is a temporary, in that sense, relationship, albeit an extremely amazing and, and uh, God ordained one. And so I think that's a great thing to, to remember as well. So, um, so kind of what, you know, what's funny to me is how, 
when people say, and I often hear this from like um, people who have been married for a short amount of time, but then maybe they started having kids. And maybe I just hear it a lot from moms, like Hannah's about to have her first baby. So this is very, um, <laughs> very pertinent right yes. now for her. You know, the, in fact, one of my friends who just had her um, her second baby, I think she was talking in a small group with me about like, yeah, my I was in this group of people and there were some single people there. And it was so fun because I was able to like, harken back to like stuff that I love that's not about parenting and I wasn't just with a bunch of moms talking about sippy cups and like whatever and she said it was just fun to kind of be like oh yeah these are hobbies that I love or these are like books that I've read that I love and stuff and so I think even on a practical level it's so fun to see like to get to know one another not only the person you're dating but also other people in other contexts and people even in group settings kind of getting back to Emerson's uh we, us, and and me, and all that, and remembering that. I mean, do you feel like as you've dated, gotten engaged, and married, is there anything that you've had to struggle to hold on to, like as far as your own personhood, or maybe that you know you maybe surprised you as far as what of a, what kind of a battle it was? I will say there are some hobbies that I found <laughs> are less useful <laughs> okay give an example uh, oh man are right, you calling me out now uh is so gonna be, is this gonna be about gaming or about... Yeah. <laughs> exactly uh, okay yep, yep. those are never useful emerson <laughs> <laughs> okay but anyway stop being the only guy here i know i'm just deliberately badgering him <laughs> there are some hobbies that i found that were taking more time than they should have mm-hmm. and i praise the lord because he used my relationship to show me like, wow, I, I'm actually spending a lot of time here that I could be pouring into someone or I could be pouring into my future wife mm-hmm. or our future son. And your priorities do start to shift a little bit and some hobbies start to start to fade away. Mm-hmm. I, the, the storage closet's getting a little more full, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's some changes that are okay. Mm-hmm. As far as like things I really want to hold on to, <laughs> there are a couple of games <laughs> that I do like really enjoy. Just like, no and, and you know, there's some friends that uh, like. It's mainly the the friends that I love playing those games with. That's yeah. that's that's the me time that I really try to hold on to. That's just so special and and satisfying in my heart that the Lord gives me, yeah. like once a week or once every couple of weeks, where we just get to sit down and be guys for a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously, appropriately, you're. You're going to be able you didn't say that ruth has a son and so you're going to be able to there's going to be time to appropriately introduce him maybe to a couple of those games oh <laughs> yeah kind of, mm-hmm. we'll see what she has to say about that but that's also an opportunity to be in relationship and to have fun together too so it doesn't all have to be lost so that's good how about you ladies yeah i thinking back to dating context um and it being long distance i think it was very easy to keep a lot of my hobbies but the moment that marriage came and it was like, life is one, um, I really found it hard to keep a lot of my hobbies. And I don't have a lot of hobbies in general. Like, I don't know if I could like, I don't crochet, things like that. But I do like the me time is still really important to me and like working out or reading and things like that. I think an added element is my husband and I are both very extroverted. And so we love spending time together. We love being with other people. Um, And I've really needed to prioritize, like, I do love reading. I want to go back to that. I need to cut out this time to read, you know, some kind of teenage drama that (laughs) has no actual benefit. But other than that, it's just fun. 
Um, yeah, so I've really had to fight for that, especially just with my personality and my extrovertedness. I still need that. Yeah, um, that's good. Me time. Yeah. Yeah, so I love this theme that we have going around this uh, table around me time. <laughs> um, and I actually carried that into marriage. I found within the first couple of months of being married, again, being a blended family, that this whole selfless, sacrificial life was really very hard for me. Um, and so so my husband and I agreed that I would continue to do a me night. And one night a week, I would go, I'd get off of work, I'd go to the gym, I'd either meet a friend for coffee. A lot of times it was just processing. Mm. Sometimes it was just literally I was by myself, just journaling and, and praying. So there are times when it's appropriate. And over time, I didn't need that anymore. Um, it was really just for probably the first year that we were married, and I, it kind of dropped off. And we moved into other ways of being able to spend time doing the things that we loved. But I, I know for that transition time, we had to give each other some real grace there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was really valuable. My husband will tell you now, he came to love it because I would always come home a different person, mm. a lot softer, a lot gentler, if I really got to have that reset every every six days. That's so good. Such great advice. You guys, thank you so much for this. I just really appreciated getting to know you better even in some of those things. And I think it's so practical and so helpful when you see how others have walked through a certain season and are still walking through it. So thanks for contributing. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, thank Thanks. You. I'm a troublemaker. Come to speak my mind. Born to be a rebel. The rebel of a holy kind. I won't raise my fist in anger. But I lift my hands and pray. Well, hey, we are here for this week's culture segment. We get to welcome back one of our dear friends who also happens to be my boss, uh, Dr. Greg Smalley. Hey, Greg, good to have you. <laughs> it's great to be back again. <laughs> I, I do want to clarify that it's not necessarily on my annual review that I have to have right. you on the show a certain number of times. It's but guaranteed. Well, it's been a long time, so I started to wonder... Been- <laughs> That's what was on your review. It's been a little Why while. Why have you rejected me? Well, and the bummer is like we've had we have you on a lot obviously because of your expertise in marriage, but sometimes we have to just have you come and talk about you know, fly fishing or some of your, you know, collecting random old sportsmobilia (laughs) hobbies and um, Hallmark movies. I mean, there are so many things. You're so multifaceted. See, things that give us life. That's what we have to figure out. It has to to happen. So I will say and let our listeners know that uh, today we're going to talk about kind of some marriage prep topics, specifically off of a book that Greg and his wife Erin wrote titled 
crazy little thing called marriage. And the sub on that is 12 Secrets for a Lifelong Romance. And we were hoping that Aaron could be here today. I had to give Greg a hard time. You know, it's like he's always just elbowing her out like he wants the spotlight. <laughs> right. um, but she is supposedly legitimately sick. And so we're going to give her is. that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll give her a pass this time and have her on uh, so she gets, you know, equal time, equal voice. So, um, but ladies, don't worry. We've got your back. I will make sure I plague Greg with many questions from the female perspective. <laughs> Fiercely as well. debate. Anything well, I say. Well, be like, I'll be like, that sounds super bogus, exactly. Greg. Please explain. That's stupid. Yeah, exactly. So, Quit well, mansplaining everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the fun thing about this book is that it is very practical. Um, obviously, you say, you know, there are 12 secrets really working through these. And you have a lot of fun personal anecdotes woven throughout. So that's really cool. Um, but I want to start kind of with one of the foundational things that you say. Um, one of the secrets is true love commits. Yeah. And so. So I think that's great that you kind of lead with that, um, because I think it is something that everyone assumes, like, especially in the Christian world, like, yeah, you know, it's a commitment, whatever. But I think they don't really think through, like, what does that actually mean? And so can you, you know, I know that your marriage, you tell this throughout the book, um, you know, it kind of had a little bit of a rocky start. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beginning Just with a the, little bit. <laughs> beginning with the honeymoon. I mean, I knew what I was doing. It was, you yeah, know, the clearly. other one. I feel like here. when I read the story of things that played out specifically towards the end of the honeymoon, I was <laughs> kind of cheering for Aaron because I was like, okay, let's talk about this. But um, first of all, tell us about the honeymoon debacle at the waterfall because it is legit. Um, I will have to tell you my opinion on that because my opinion is very real. Um, but go ahead and start with that because I want to talk about commitment off of that. And then you'll correct it. Well, yeah, you know, the, let's you're, see you're, how you do. You're doing Aaron proud. Let's see how you do. <laughs> yeah. So it, the, the whole story, it's all about expectation. So mm-hmm. we we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii for a honeymoon. So one of the things that I was really excited to do is go visit and find a waterfall, like mm-hmm. one of those, you know, beautiful Hawaiian waterfalls. Totally you iconic. Can, yeah, jump off and swim around. Every day as we would talk about, hey, what are we going to do today? I would say, hey, let's go, let's find the waterfall today. Well, they kept getting rejected as an idea up until the very last day, mm-hmm. up until the very last afternoon. So, mm-hmm. like, this is the last chance mm-hmm. that we can do this. So we, we drive forever, find one. It's perfect. I go tearing out into the water, swimming, wanting to go to the falls, start jumping. We're the only ones. And Erin, she's not joining me. So Mm -hmm. I turn around and she's looking at something. Well, I discover quickly there's a little no swimming sign. Well, I mean, this is what I hoped that we could do, you know, swim in this waterfall. And so I'm a rule breaker. Usually Mm -hmm. there's a rule follow and a rule breaker. So I'm that one. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to convince her it's it's okay. No one's here. What are they going to arrest us for swimming? I mean, Mm -hmm. anything I could try to do to get her to to join me in the water and play around this beautiful waterfall, she just wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And that 
bothered me because that was my expectation and it irritated me that we had waited to the very last possible second so that's what's going on for me okay so that's good because i feel like i have a little more sympathy for you with the whole this was actually a protracted situation (laughs) that you were waiting for this one opportunity right because when i heard Aaron's side of it it was all about the nurse in her came out and she's like there could be deadly bacteria in here there's a reason why people put up signs and so from her perspective exactly. it sounds totally logical right. so i could see where the right. where the conflict comes so so okay so clearly you guys felt and and you admittedly say that that wasn't the only hot mess that you guys encountered you had no. well into your first couple of years you had a lot of ups and downs hey, and, and, and i and i got to defend aaron for a moment too yeah so we never ended up going into the waterfall got in this big old fight okay and that that was kind of how we ended our our honeymoon however we did go back, I think, like for our 20th. Okay. And she did initiate, like she planned the whole thing, and we went to a waterfall. We okay. did swim around. So she she did redeem that memory. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing now. Okay. Part well, of our do, story. I mean, so that we have the opportunity to hear it, do share the um, very encouraging building statement that you shared with her at the end <laughs> the summary when, of basically how when this... she wouldn't yeah join me mm-hmm. in the water to play around the waterfall yeah yeah so i got so frustrated because again it was my expectation that i really wanted to do this and so i think i said something like well fine if this is how you're gonna act then this honeymoon is ruined for me <laughs> so pro- yeah. probably don't use that phrase <laughs> on your honeymoon and then you get to, to fly home and just start paying bills Exactly. And fig- exactly. Figuring out life after that. Yeah, so that was good. a little foreshadowing, though, mm-hmm. into what was the first three, four years of our marriage was yeah. poorly managed conflict. Yeah. And, and we, that was our big, that was our Achilles heel that we had to figure out. Yeah. And it, uh, honestly, Lisa, that we did that so poorly, conflict, mm-hmm. that it really, it almost cost us our marriage. I yeah. mean, we were both really, really at a bad place when right. we finally went and got help. Yeah. And I definitely want to get to that because you actually have that as an entirely like different secret of how to tackle that area. <laughs> it's not, but Yeah. I also have a whole book <laughs> yeah. called Fight Your Way to a Better Marriage. So there yes, we've learned a lot. Very good. But okay, so let's ratchet that back. This illustration in light of commitment, clearly when you're going to have tough times, you're going to feel like, did I even pick the right person? Where are we even going here? You can have a lot of serious doubts about whether or not this was meant to be. So when you talk about commitment, how does a person, because you're talking here largely to, you know, single young adults who aren't dating, or maybe they are dating, maybe they're engaged, maybe they're kind of wondering, how can I move into the next step? How does a person decide that they will commit for real? What does that practically look like? Because I think everyone thinks they're going to commit, but what does it look like to actually in your head and heart make a decision that commitment is a thing that you're on board with? Yeah. So what I had to learn to do was to, one, just eliminate the word divorce out of our vocabulary. Okay. So it, it was not an option. I think, though, on, a, on an even more practical level, my my oldest daughter uh, went through a divorce three years into her marriage. And this was uh, a young man that I had had many conversations. I mean, remember, I even wrote 12 questions every father should ask his future son-in-law. Mm-hmm. One of them being, you know, is is this for a life? You know, mm-hmm. are you committed? And, and what I've realized is that anyone can tell you that they're going to 
be committed to you for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And and I honestly believe that my ex-son-in-law believed that with all his heart. Mm-hmm. I think when it came right down to it, um, you, you also need to be willing. It's called grit. You need to be able to do anything and everything that it takes mm-hmm. to get help to make this marriage work. Mm-hmm. Any, anything, like whatever it's going to take. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a grit factor now that I really understand. So I've had now two more conversations with young men, because I do have three daughters, mm-hmm. uh, about this. And and so instead of saying, hey, you know, give me your commitment that this is for a lifetime, mm-hmm. w- what, what I think is the evidence. So here's what I would be looking for. So as a single young adult, is your dating, is you're really seeing this person, maybe, yeah, maybe there's a future for us. I think the evidence of commitment is are they getting help now? Mm. Are are they willing to go to counseling? Are they in counseling? Are do they have a mentor relationship? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that's a much better predictor mm-hmm. of commitment than just someone saying, "Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is for a life." Yeah. In with my my current son-in-law, um his name's Jordan. That was a big part of when when my middle daughter Murphy, when Jordan and Murphy started dating, that that was when we started talking. And Jordan and I had that conversation. That's you know, tell me about what what's counseling look like in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, how how have you dealt with the junk and the issues and the things, the baggage that you're bringing in? We all do that. Yeah. And I think the more that this person is willing to get help, I think what that shows is one that I'm humble enough to tell you that I don't have all the answers, and I'm willing to seek out good. Christian guidance from a good mentor, a pastor, a counselor, especially a Christian counselor. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a much better indication of commitment because what that says is that, hey, when things get tough, you know, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight, for those who marry, you will have problems. Every couple is going to have those hard seasons, those, those difficulties. You're going to have it all. You're going to have the good, the bad, the ugly. And so in those ugly moments, mm-hmm. are you willing to go get help and do whatever it takes to, to stay together? That to me is the practical application of commitment. Yeah. It's interesting because I often say here at Boundless that, you know, when I narrow it down to like the four or five things that should be on your list in looking for someone or choosing to date someone, I always put, is this person humble and teachable? Because if they do not have someone that authoritatively can speak into their life, there's a reason why. And that is a red flag for sure. I mean, you are always authoritatively speaking into my life. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Right, exactly. Well, I appreciate it. You know, it's a hard job, folks. Someone has to do it. So, no, it's good. Okay, one of the secrets also is true love seeks God. And mm-hmm. I think this goes hand in hand with this. Um, obviously, you know, we know that with Christians, you know, we're upping the ante a little bit because we're making a covenant before God as well as to this other person. Um, but I think it's interesting because we, when that plays into the dating space, it's kind of like, how do you, there are so many different ways to reflect faith and to have a solid faith. And a lot of times we want to put the way that we express our faith on other people and be like, okay, well, you know, why don't you sing only hymns? You yeah. must not be spiritually mature. Right. So how can a <laughs> young really adult hymns too. who's dating yeah. and only with piano or acapella? <laughs> um, so how does a young adult in a dating you know, relationship kind of 
evaluate spirituality and, you know, commitment to the Lord and passion for the Lord without seeming super judgy about it or putting all of their own parameters or expectations on the other person. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. When when you look at the spirituality between a couple, so in marriage, they've narrowed it down to two important factors. So this is what you would want to start observing, noticing, seeing if that's a part of this person's life is praying together on a daily basis. So praying together and attending church together. Hmm. And the reason why church is such an important part is because you're building community. Mm-hmm. It's it's that, that corporate worship. Now I'm surrounded by people with similar views and beliefs. And, and these are people who probably will fight for our marriage. That's what Aaron and I had when, when those first, you know, three, four years, when we were really struggling, there was a, a couple from our church that one day called our little apartment looking for Aaron. So the, the wife looking for Aaron, and I answer the phone, and and she says, hey, Greg, I'm looking for Aaron. Where's Aaron? And I said, oh, Aaron left. Well, she heard that very differently <laughs> than I intended it. I meant she left to go to the store. Uh-huh. She says to me, oh, Greg, I'm so sorry. I was so afraid this was going to happen. Oh, no. And, and I'm going, oh, I'm sorry, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And so after this long, awkward kind of pause, she goes, well, first of all, I'm humiliated. Mm-hmm. But number two, she goes, yeah, if I'm being honest, she goes, I, my husband and I, we talked about this. We can tell you guys are struggling. Mm-hmm. I, we don't think things are going well. How about tonight? Come over. You guys come over for dinner and let's just talk. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, I'm telling you, that was the first time you know, that we'd ever been honest with another couple. And that was a couple from our church. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, church attendance mm-hmm. is such an important habit in belief and in, in understanding and how important that is within a marriage because you need to have those friends and people that you build community with. You know, marriage is not a, it's, a, it's not an individual sport. It's yeah. a team sport. Yeah. I love Ted Cunningham who you, I know you've had on uh-huh. before, says marriage is a duet in need of backup singers. Mm. And, and that's the way that the church body can function is, is our backup singers. And so as you're, as you're evaluating someone's you know, spiritual relationship, what, what does prayer look like mm-hmm. in their life? What does that look like in our relationship? And then number two, what, what does church attendance look like? Yeah. If someone isn't doing either one of those, uh, yeah, those to me would be huge red flags. Yeah. I know a lot of couples think that when they get married, that's when they're going to pump up their spiritual life. Like, it's okay, you know, we're going to do it together. Or, you know, she'll kind of tell me what to do or what small group to be in. <laughs> Or whatever. I remember dating a guy who we were kind of talking about spiritual things, and I knew that he was kind of a regular yeah. church attender, but wasn't. I was the one who always initiated the spiritual conversations, and I was kind of like, yeah. this isn't super cool. Right. And I remember him at one point <laughs> saying to me, which I think this reflects poorly on both of us, like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, okay, I can join a men's small group if you want me to. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's if it. we have to like check it off a list <laughs> right. or if I'm sounding all right. naggy about that already, that's just a bad sign, you know? Well, I, and I think it's so important to remember that within a marriage, there's always three actually entities that have to be attended to constantly nourished and cared for. And that's him, her, and then their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, my relationship with the Lord is between me and the Lord. 
and I want that to be growing. I want to keep learning. Same thing with Aaron. How, how is she walking out her relationship with the Lord? That's her business, her responsibility. But then we do have this shared spiritual component that we want for our relationship. And that's why the, the praying together, the, the going to church together, boy, that really feeds that that relationship, that mm-hmm. shared spiritual relationship that that we need, but but otherwise, you know, I, at least honestly, I would say rarely. With it, now, I've been married almost now thirty one years, and I don't know if Aaron and I would ever say, yeah, we're at the same place together within our individual walks with the Lord. It's always a little bit different. And I may be going through a a cold season. She might be going through just so thriving within that relationship. And another part of it is that, you know, along the journey that you'll have together, boy, something can happen. And I remember close friends who, who she developed pancreatic cancer. And I have never witnessed anyone over two years being prayed for more than this wife mm. and just convinced like, God, I mean, you talk about prayer in the Bible and you're mm-hmm. like, when everybody's doing like, you got to show, you got to answer this prayer. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it threw me spiritually when she passed away mm-hmm. to the point I was like, you know what? I'm not, you know, I mean, we say all this stuff about prayer. I'm not so sure that it plays out how I believed it should. Yeah. And I went through a really dark cold season within my relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Aaron, Aaron was right there with me. Mm-hmm. You know, she would say, Hey, let, let's pray together. I'd be like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Like, what's yeah. the point? I mean, and, and we had to walk through that. Yeah. She had to keep her relationship strong with the Lord. She wanted to support me as I was just having these questions. And so that, that'll, that'll also be a part of the yeah. reality is that you guys maybe rarely will be at the same exact place within your individual walks and and that's okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, Do make a quick comment here about spiritual leadership, because I think this is another, you know, question that a lot of couples have, especially women, because they think, you know, some women will just say, well, I'm going to marry a spiritual leader. I just need it. But it's, again, one of those nebulous, like, okay, what do you mean by that? And I would think that you would agree that spiritual leadership can have different faces and different applications of that. So what would you say for the woman who's just like, how do I find a spiritual leader? What are some of the hallmarks? And I know you had good conversations with your own dad, Gary right. Smalley, about this. Right, I did. Yeah, this this was a sore spot also in, in my marriage early on, because I think Erin, if she was here, she'd say this. I think she walked in thinking, man, I'm marrying almost like this pastor. I was in mm-hmm. seminary you know, in a counseling program, mm-hmm. but she's thinking, man, he's going to be waking up in the morning mm-hmm. and we'll do devos <laughs> together and we'll just have this deep kind mm-hmm. of spiritual connection. Neither one of us sings, so it wasn't probably <laughs> going to include praise and worship music, but maybe for some, you, you're thinking, oh, that's going to be so much fun. I, I would always encourage you start with what, what do I think that should look like? Mm-hmm just based on what I've seen growing up or what I've admired in others, like what am I thinking that'll look like? How would I define that? Because Erin would say if she had been asked that, she would have kind of listed those things. Someone who's hmm. who's initiating prayer, who's initiating us reading the Bible together, initiating going to church, doing those kinds of great things. Mm-hmm. When I wasn't doing those things quite the way in her mind that she thought I would be doing. 
and was challenging me around that. I, I became very discouraged. Mm-hmm. And then I had this large shadow from a very, you know, influential in the spiritual, in the religious community, my father, and I would see him get up in the morning, you know, I'd come down to watch, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. He'd be on his knees <laughs> mm-hmm. by his chair, you know, that, and I never felt like I could ever measure up to that. So mm-hmm. already I walked that into our marriage, just mm-hmm. kind of feeling like, I mean, I could never be like him. Mm-hmm. And so even we, my dad and I were then out to dinner together and he was asking me oddly, just, Hey, how's that going? And spiritually, how are you guys connecting? And I'm like, you know what? I said, not well, and it's your fault. And he's like, wait, what? I said, well, yeah. I said, I can't, I can't, I'm never going to be like you. I can't measure up to you. Mm-hmm. And he got up. So we, we were sitting across from one another. So he gets up and he slides me over and sits right next to me and cusps with his hands, my face. <laughs> like I'm trying to think, I don't, I don't think he's going to hit me, but like what, what's happening and and he proceeded to really speak life into me around this and and basically what he said is that you know son when i look at you here's what i notice i i see a, a man who gets up every morning to go to work at a, at a job just to make money for his family and young daughter mm-hmm. who probably that's not what you want to do for the rest of your life. I see you doing that. I see you, you know, when there's conflict, I see you working that through. I see how tender and kind you are to your wife and to your daughter. He just kind of went through like 10 things mm. that he noticed. He said, Greg, that's spiritual leadership too. Mm. It's not just how many verses did you memorize and did you initiate prayer? Because yeah. all important things, because it, it's much more than that. And that really changed my whole perspective. As a matter of fact, my daughter Murphy. So I've always told my daughters, you know, right before you get married, I get one last overnight with you. Mm-hmm. And just, we just, let's just go <laughs> up. And because I, I, I want to, to give my daughters a blessing, releasing them mm-hmm. from kind of being under my authority, being under my spiritual authority mm-hmm. and really releasing them. And, but doing that in a way that we grieve well and say goodbye and then look forward to kind of the turning of the page, a new chapter, that kind of thing. Sure. So as we were, we were hiking up in the mountains of Colorado and, and I'm like, okay, Murph, what do you, what do you want to know? Like ask me anything about marriage. And that was one of her questions. Hey, what, what does spiritual leadership look like? Hmm. And what I tried to do is give her that broadened kind of view. For example, I said, you know what? I said, leadership is when, when you guys are in conflict and he leads to repair that. Hmm. I said, spiritual leadership is when he initiates and leads out, making sure you guys are connected, Mm -hmm. that he's leading out, really pursuing your inner life Mm -hmm. and making sure that he's staying updated on what's going on inside. So I just kind of walk through here. Here's what leadership is, especially at least honestly. I mean, I think one of the best ways to lead spiritually is when when we're in an argument or something happens that man w- to come back around to initiate repairing that not mm-hmm. solving it mm-hmm. but repairing that that's huge and i think a lot of guys don't do that and that that's left up to her yeah. to make sure that they kind of repair and get back on track but man what an important part of leading yeah. That's Even good. spiritually, yeah. it's just repairing because, boy, the, the, Satan loves it when we're disconnected and, and, and disunified. For sure. Well, now that you kind of opened up that conversation, um, we're going to have to put a pin in this week. But if you'd be willing to come back next week, I want to start the conversation next week with conflict. And 
like between us? Right. Like, are we? <laughs> do <laughs> we need to make us. sure we get into a fight here at work so, over the that'll week? Be, we'll do a future show on that if we have to. You know, I have um, a list of Greg, some things. Greg's I was an Enneagram up, so. Nine, y'all. He's <laughs> yeah, a peacemaker, exactly. so right. this could go very interestingly right. if we I'm, do. But um, no, we'll talk about I'd it in to. marriage and leading up to marriage. So, so if you'll it. join us, let's do it. All right. Well, folks, I want to remind you, um, I mentioned the book that we're talking about today, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, 12 Secrets for a Lifelong Romance. And we want to make a copy of this book available to you here at Boundless for a gift of any amount. So you just go to uh, this week's show, go to boundless.org, search for 799. That's the episode number. You'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless for the work that we're already doing and the fun that you have with us and the family you're part of here. And we will send a copy of Greg and Aaron's book as our thank you to you. So go ahead and do that today. And Greg, in the meantime, we will be around next week, right? We will. Let's let's get into some conflict. Let's do <laughs> All right. It. Sounds good. I don't know where the valley ends, but the road is paved with mercy, and I can see how the Well, hey, we are finishing out the show and we're going to open up the inbox and I actually have the privilege of answering this week's question, which is a good dating one from one of our guys. Um, he says, I've never been in a real dating or romantic relationship before. Several months ago, I met and started messaging and video chatting with a woman who's 1300 miles away and we've been connecting pretty well. Next month, I'm going to visit her to see if we want to move beyond our close friendship into a dating relationship. Neither of us have many, if any, other potential dates waiting in the wings. My question is, when does a dating relationship become a serious relationship? Since we may be the only ones dating each other, there's a bit of exclusivity already. Okay, well, this is a great question and a super practical one, because I think as you put, you know, thought to this and you kind of put your head thinking about like, yeah, what should there be like a progression? What does this look like? It helps to kind of have some structure around it. So my first thought is, and I want to draw attention to the fact that you said you would consider currently you have a close friendship. So you haven't actually declared that you're dating. You're waiting until you go to visit her to kind of make that happen. And so I would say always in any dating relationship. Now, it's going to be a little weird because you have been video chatting. You feel probably like you know one another. Online is a great way to make connection. That is, it's a great precursor to kind of setting the expectation for, okay, let's say that we're dating and then set up some expectations for what that's going to look like. Because you're always going to be, until you enter marriage, um, 
this is always like, you know, no harm, no foul. Everyone, anyone can stop dating at any time. You know, you have to determine, is this still working for you? What does that look like? And so remember to approach it somewhat casually at first of just like, you're going to continue exploring getting to know one another. Now, it's going to be rough when you're 1,300 miles away. So you're going to have to figure out what this looks like for in-person meeting. And if you can't make that happen on a relatively uh, regular schedule, you're going to probably experience some struggles. That said, a couple general principles. The first is you want to constantly check in with one another. Uh, Actually, I shouldn't say constantly. That sounds a little bit aggressive and weird. Um, You want to periodically and on some kind of regular schedule, check in and make sure literally are we both still on the same page in this relationship? Do we both consider the fact that we're dating? Do we both still want to be dating? Do we want to move to something a little more exclusive? Are we still in this? Are we, where is this going? So you always want to have those, what we loosely call around here, the DTRs, define the relationship, so that you know one person's heart is way ahead in the game and the other person is like, I still kind of consider us friends and, you know, I don't really know what I think. So that's one great hallmark to consider consider. The other is you want to involve others in this process. So have other people start looking at this relationship, evaluating it, seeing where they feel, what stage it's in and what it looks like. Because I think having those objective eyes on it will prevent you from either one of you kind of getting lost in the process and or both of you getting lost in one another's eyes. So both both situations can be kind of uh, problematic. So The other thing you want to determine, and and you're saying, you know, again, we're speaking directly to when does a dating relationship become a serious relationship, you want to eventually start having future forward conversations. So you can't just be stuck in the same cycle of we're hanging out, we're having fun, we both like anime, we both, you know, like thrifting or whatever. I mean, that's just, that's a friendship and that's fine. But you want to have, is this going anywhere? Is there forward momentum? What is propelling this forward? Are we starting to have conversations. And again, with some good structure, with some accountability around them, um, where you're saying, is there something more to this? And on on what kind of structure and timeline can we look towards that? Because, you know, we talk a lot here at Boundless about pre-engagement counseling. We talk a lot about really asking good questions that are necessary for determining a future marriage partner. So those conversations will have to start happening. So um, the short answer is, I would say this moves into a serious relationship when both of you acknowledge that you are considering this person as a future marriage partner and you're trying to walk through the practical steps of getting there. And again, as you implied, there's exclusivity in that as well. And so, but all those checkpoints should help you get there. And I I hope that that will be a practical help for you as you move down that road. All right, folks. Well, that is it uh, for this week's show. Um, Because of this question, I want to draw your attention to our guides to marrying well, which are a super practical application of how to put some of uh, your thought to this. And so you can just go to Boundless. You will see on our homepage those guides right there. You can just click on them and sign up for those. There's a guy's version and a girl's version, and you can get those and get some great momentum moving forward. In the meantime, this is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. 
Hey, everybody, here the latest episode of my podcast, Refocus with Jim Daly. Dr. John Lennox talks about how we need to show both love and truth to others. Love and truth they find difficult to put together because love without truth becomes sloppy sentiment and truth without love becomes hard and can be vicious. Dr. Lennox will help you overcome barriers when sharing your faith on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.